You are about to listen to the full interview with John Huckert. Sections of it were originally included in our Ghost Rider episode. If you haven't listened to the full episode, we recommend you go listen. It'll provide context for this interview. John has communicated firsthand over the past few decades with the spirit known as Wright. He still has paranormal experiences in the house to this day. He told us the full story, beginning with when he moved into the house, to what is happening now. I'm an independent guerrilla filmmaker, and I have been my whole life. And I also do music, done a few movie soundtracks and theme songs and things like that. And that's what I love to do. It's been really tough being out uh, in Hollywood where it's independent work is not supported that well. You know, it's who you know, family in the business or money in the family. So it's been quite a struggle, but I've managed to put together quite a number of films. And I'm working on a new feature right now that I'm excited about story of my life and then i my songwriting partner uh died a few years ago suddenly and um so i'm just getting back now to uh finishing up some of the songs we're working on and uh i'm doing another movie score so what type of films do you make and kind of what part of that process um do you get involved in like writing directing producing yeah that's why i say i'm a, a guerrilla filmmaker because there's not a job on a film that i've not done and uh you know like i was really good at craft service for a while but um no i write and direct and produce and sometimes act in them i've been in quite a few films but uh, i make dark serial killer pictures i make um i have a ghost story i'm trying to launch uh i make documentaries really like heartfelt stuff and then real distracted violence films. I make all different kinds of films. I know some people question that because I, I made a film called uh, Garden of Dreams and it was about the original Bush Gardens that existed here in California. And it didn't have rides and all that, but it was these beautiful gardens. And uh, we recreated it and it was really quite fun. And it it played for like six months at the Natural Museum of History. And, and the older you are, the more you appreciate the film. The young people didn't get it. They were like, it's a garden, you know what I mean? And then I made like this serial killer picture about a, um, called Hard. And oh man, it's actually, I'm getting ready to re-release it uh, because uh, with new footage that no one has seen before, it became sort of a cult classic. And my biggest film to date is probably a film called The Passing, which came out on Blu-ray recently. That was my second feature I made many, many, many years ago. So I love making films and any kind of film give me a subject i will make a film about it i've written uh, i'm on my 49th feature-length screenplay right now and maybe 12 of them are movies i'm still gonna launch them or as my son says one day you're gonna be really famous long after you're gone but i'm gonna make a lot of money off your, your work <laughs> <laughs> i said that's not good i want to enjoy it <laughs> <laughs> i want to be around for it what's the feature you're working on now you said you're you're wrapping up Oh, no, we're actually getting ready. We're in pre-production on it. It's called The Ghost in Me, and it's a, a really different uh, kind of ghost picture. It's a comedy. It's a like a teen comedy. It's part Western. I've, all these genres I've never written in before, and uh, having a blast doing it. So we'll see. I got a couple of uh, people in it that I'm excited about. But it's like right now it's super low budget. We're hoping to get a, a little kick of... Uh, funding here somewhere but uh we'll see i'm used to uh making films on credit cards which i don't recommend 
But when you're in the middle of a film, you do whatever it takes to figure out. You know, when we did the film hard, we shot it on 35 millimeter short ends, 397 short ends. So each reel is good for one take of something. And then you have to change the change it. So it's a very slow process. But I was very proud of that film. That's one I'm going to re-release here soon. Can you tell me about how you and John Mikowski first became friends and how you first came to move into the house where the story is centered? I first met John uh, back in 1986. I was living in an apartment in Hollywood right there off Sunset, right behind um, the original, um, remember those chocolate chip cookies? Famous Amos. It was the original Famous Amos building in my I lived in the apartment right behind it. Anyway, my next door neighbor uh, said, I have a friend named John and he also makes movies. And he was over one night, so um, we talked. I showed him uh, one of my films and he absolutely hated it. And uh, I saw one of his films and I thought it, you know, was uh, overhyped and underproduced. <laughs> but we just got along really well. Uh, then, uh, and we stayed in touch through the years. And then uh, in 1989, 90, 1990, I believe, I was really poor and I lost my apartment. So I was gonna be living out of my car. And he said, I got a room here, come stay here. And then I never left. It's been 33 years. <laughs> and can you kind of just describe to me what the property in the house looks like and, and kind of what your first impressions of it were when you moved in? It's off the, the main road. It's like you have to walk a path up to the house. So you can't actually really see it from the road. So when you're walking up to it, it's, it's, it's kind of creepy if it's night because it's a very thin, narrow path uh, of like um, blocks that you walk on with a couple of steps every so often. And as you get up to the house, it's just sort of a, a cabin, more of a cabin than a house. And it's dark. I don't know. It's it's comfortable once you get to know it. When you first come over, a lot of people, because uh, we allow people over every so often, like we get asked a lot to have people come over. And every so often we'll let somebody over. You know, if it's somebody we feel is sincere uh, and they, they want to uh, experience the house, we'll let them over. <laughs> the house is, is uh, maybe a little off-putting when you first come over, but it doesn't look like, you know, like, I want a house that looks like the Adams Family house. I, I love the old haunted house, the classic look. Ours looks like a sort of elongated cabin in the woods. You know, I mean, it, it, it's what it is, but I wish it was scary looking personally because I love haunted houses. Before moving into the house, did you believe in ghosts and the paranormal? And had you had any experiences yourself? Like I've, I've grown up with uh, experiences, but like I believe in ghosts, but not like I think, like I didn't think of them as, um, I didn't think of ghosts as conscious entities. I always thought of ghosts as like um, sort of imprints on the land, like, uh, like an old tape you play over and over again. Like if you see something like moving by, it'll repeat. You know, you'll see it again and again at different times. And that to me is like an old tape playing back. And some people I think are sensitive to being able to witness this and some people aren't. You know, like some people, like like animals have different kinds of vision than we do, or insects or whatever. And I think some people, I've, I've had a few severe head injuries in my life. And when I think back before the head injuries, I'm wondering if I had any experiences because they seem to happen after my head injuries. Uh, three, like, pretty severe concussions. 
ironically speaking, the first one happened when I was in sixth grade and I lost my sight there, which was really crazy. Uh, what, was, what was the question? I don't know if I answered. Yeah, no, you, you've answered <laughs> you've answered the first part, but I'm, I'm curious to know, like, just experiences you've had before even moving oh, into right. the house, anything yeah. that you might consider paranormal. Well, when I was growing up, uh, when I was really young, I would see things, but I just, I didn't know what they were. And I don't, like, when I think back on it, I don't, I don't know how clear, like, I remember when I was like four years old, this man made of light came into my room and he was bright green and bright red at the same time. Uh, and he didn't have like, he had shape. He didn't have like a face or anything. And he walked in, I remember I was scared and I put the blanket over my head and then he walked down to the foot of the bed and then he disappeared. And I remember thinking about it and I tried telling my parents about it and they said it was a dream, which it very well may have, but it was so demonstrative that I remember it to this day. Uh, when I uh, lived back east, uh, I had a house that definitely had some something wrong with it. And uh, I was in it for about four years before uh, we realized that it was not just, you know, blood coming out of the ceiling or hot and cold water switching or things flying around the room and everything we would have an explanation for until at one point, I mean, somebody jumped off the roof and broke their neck. I mean, people lost their minds in that house. My sister came in with her kids and when she was there, all kinds of crazy things happened. And I would write everything off as a reason for it. But at some point, uh, I remember this one man who lived there, he, he'd give me a beautiful picture of Mount St. Helens exploding. And then a, um, a few days later, he knocked on my door and he had his arms like folded. And I said, are you okay? Because he looked really distraught. And he put his wrists out and he had slid his wrists. So, you know, he called 911 and everything. And I'm like, what is going on in this house? We had uh, nine cats we would keep them in different places in the house. And every one of the cats, not everyone, about six of the cats died under very mysterious circumstances. And I remember um, one of the cats we found, it was half a cat, literally half a cat. The, the other half was gone and there was no blood. And we we're trying to figure out how, how do you have half a cat? Just weird things like that would <laughs> happen all the time the house. And at some point we went, oh, my God, I think this place might actually be haunted. Years later, my uh, my wife at the time, she um, uh, when I was living out here, she uh, uh, took a picture of the house and a bunch of us to a uh, psychic that worked for the FBI would help them with things that psychics do for the FBI. And she looked at the picture and she said, oh, it's not the house, it's this man right here. He has an epileptic brain. Of course, she's pointing to me, and I don't have epilepsy or anything like that, but um, she said spirits surround him. And uh, I don't know if that's true, but I do know that different places I've lived, I've seen things, I've sensed things. Up until this house, I always wrote it off as just being sensitive to things that go on that are just normal that some people see and some people don't. Does that answer? That's yeah, interesting because that, yeah, that definitely answers my question. And it seems like that's um, the comparison between the experiences you had at that house versus kind of where you are now. It seems like a very different type of energy in a way. Like that sounded very negative. That house was, it felt, yeah, that house felt very negative. And uh, like, 
I'm not a big believer in, like, I'm not a particularly religious person, and, like, I don't really believe in the devil kind of thing. But I do believe in evil, especially after living there. The house actually at one point uh, caught fire. And um, I remember, uh, there's a lot to it, but I remember at one point, once I got out of the house, uh, we got everybody out, and I remember the windows exploding outward to try to get more oxygen for the fire. And it was like the house was alive, and oh, it was the most frightening thing. That house, it's been fixed up many times, and, and within a couple of years, it's back to hell again. Uh, but I know it was built as a house of prostitution back in the 30s. And when I got it, I got it from a preacher. And I didn't know, but he died in the house. And I found all these like elegant robes he would wear and stuff like that. It was it's sort of a fascinating story. Uh, one day I might write about it. But um, it was definitely a, a, a haunting and sort of negative experience. And, and you said that the... It sounds like you did look a little bit into the history and finding out that it used to maybe be a place of prostitution, but was there anything else you found out about that house that maybe was interesting that might explain some of the negative energy left behind? We never found out like, um, for example, people dying in the house or anything other than the preacher died in the house. But I do know the way it was structured. uh, There were four rooms upstairs and they were centered around the bathroom. So everyone had access to the bathroom, which makes sense for a house of prostitution. And then, uh, you know, what it, we lived on the first floor and then we rented out the rooms on the second floor and that's how we paid for the mortgage. It's a really good idea. You can get paid to buy your house. <laughs> but I eventually got rid of the house because I was just, uh, I needed to get it. I don't blame you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the house you're at now, before, before you captured the first photographs, was there any indication to Mikowski or yourself that the house may be haunted before that first encounter? There was actually. Um, there, when I first came over, right away I felt like like a heaviness. I'm not sure how to describe it, but there's like a heaviness in the air. And I said, I just said, like, is this house haunted? And he goes, no, no. But, and then he starts telling me these stories of different people who've been over there, even his mom or his brother, and different experiences they've had, um, hearing people walking on the ceiling or on the roof or whatever, um, uh, which could, you know, I tend to think, oh, that's probably raccoons, or you tend to come up with logical explanations. But there was a really weird sense of something there. But I, I don't know, I guess I didn't uh, really think of it until once I moved in, because I was there a couple of years before uh, the picture started. But I remember thinking, God, there is a lot going on in this house. Was there any, any visual evidence before the photos or was it kind of more feelings and auditory? No, it was mostly uh, feelings. When I see things, I tend to think that nobody else sees them. And I, I'm, I'm not schizophrenic, and I'm not whatever the different things they say. Uh, I don't go places and have hallucinations, and I don't do drugs and all that. But in certain places, you pick up things and you feel things, and sometimes you will see things. One thing that I've seen in different places, but I see a lot here, is shadow people. I didn't know that that's what they were officially called, but I was like, I would describe it like, well, it's sort of like a shadow, but it's in the middle of the room and it moves around. And, uh, you know, Mikowski would say, well, is it there now? And I say, well, it'll be there or it won't be there. But 
anyway, that's one thing that goes on. We also have, um, I would see uh, a number of people that I thought were real. And um, there's a woman in a very old dress and I would see her walking out by the, down by the street and then I'd see her walking across the porch. And the first few times I'm thinking, why aren't the dogs barking? Usually, you know, the dogs are early warning signs. The dogs aren't responding at all. And when you see them literally out the window, you see them going along. And then you go, you run out to, can I help you or whatever? And there's no one there. And you're no, you know there's no way they can get away. So that is a different form of, um, those are those things I was saying about the landscape has memory. That's what I think those are. Because that woman has been seen a number of times by other people too. But I mean, I see her frequently. I mean, she shows up when she's there and when she's not. But there's never any like looking at me and trying to communicate or any sense of uh, presence. It's more like memory. That's how I look at what she is. And so tell me about the first time you captured one of these photographs uh, that shows the writing, because this is a situation that's definitely not an impression left behind. This is something that seemed to be very intelligent. And I'm curious to hear yeah. kind of that first encounter and what your reaction was. Well, the first encounter, um, the first encounter with the Polaroids was in, uh, I believe it was in, it was in 1992. I should have the date memorized and I don't. Sometime in March, I think it was, February or March. Um, and I know it's written down somewhere so somebody can look it up. But, uh, you know, as you get older, your memory, your long-term memory doesn't hold as well. So I forget certain things. But some things are imprinted in you, you know, and that, and that first day is imprinted in me. I remember I was, uh, I was sitting in the, the dining room. The house is actually, to give a description of it, it's one long room. So it's like a kitchen, dining room, living room, all in one giant open space room. Not giant, tiny, I should say, really. Um, and then it leads into two hallways. Um, anyway, I was sitting at the table. My dad had given me a Polaroid camera for Christmas. And uh, I'd taken a couple of pictures with it. And I was like, oh, cool, I have a Polaroid camera. No big deal. Um, but it was nice of him to give it to me. And I was sitting at the table, and I remember thinking about... Um, like, um, I remember telling John at some point, I'm going to prove to you there's something in this house because John tends to look at life with blinders on. He, when he senses something, which he does, he will like look the other way. And I said, What'd you see? Nothing, nothing. I won't talk about it. <laughs> I mean, he's still like that to this day. You know what I mean? It's pretty funny because he still uh, picks up things. Anyway, so um, I, I said, uh, I don't know, one day we'll have some kind of proof or something. I was sitting there and I just had that sense, like that tingly kind of feeling, this weird heaviness in the air, like something is there. So I got up and I took a picture because I remember the bathroom door opened and, and, and I was thinking, was the bathroom door open before? I don't know. So I took a picture and there was nothing on the picture and I felt kind of silly at that point. It's like, okay, well, didn't get anything. I sat back down and the bathroom door opened again. Now the bathroom door, like you can look at the floor to this day and it has scrapes on it. You have to lift it up and open it. It's, it's basically a bunch of boards nailed together like in an old cabin, which is what it is. So it's not like a door with a doorknob. 
scrape open, you shut it, and there's a little teeny slide thing inside to lock it. Anyway, so I got, uh, when the bathroom door opened again, I remember thinking um, that this was a sign that I was to take another picture. And I got up to take another picture, and I was actually shaking, and I was shaking so much, I took a picture of the top of the TV set because I was like, and I'm like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? I was like, then I thought it was just silly because uh, I, I got so nervous about it. And then I took a picture of the, the hallway with the bathroom. And that's when the very first image came up. And I remember thinking as it, I was watching it develop and I remember thinking on one hand, it was kind of terrifying. On the other hand, it was really comical. Uh, have you seen the image? It's sort of like a, I have seen it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, boo, I'm a ghost. And I remember thinking, and but first some is it when it first comes up, it's like kind of scary. It's like, well, what is that? And then you're like, oh, okay, someone's playing a trick on me. And then I thought back, my dad was always a practical joker. And I thought, you know what? He did something to this camera. And that's why that happened. And, uh, and then I took another picture and it it was different. It had like weird light and everything. So I said, okay, I'm just going to wait till Mikowski gets home. He gets home. I show him the couple of pictures. And he's like, oh, these are so cool. How'd you do this? And I said, well, I just took a picture of here. And he goes, uh, well, um, let's, you know, take a picture now. So I went over and stood in the, the area and he took a picture of me and more stuff came up. Uh, I think we took six pictures. I can't remember how many pictures were left in the camera, but we took the rest of them. And maybe five of them had either light on them or that one shape, the one scary shape, and the rest had like light, light forms on them, which we would later be told was ectoplasmic, uh, what was it? I can't remember the expression Peter James used to say, ectoplasmic energy or something. Anyway, so that's how it got started. But then I told him about my dad and the camera and his practical joke thing. And so we kind of laughed it off, but then we're thinking, you know, it, it's kind of cool if there's something there. So uh, back then, film was expensive. So about two weeks later, went out and bought another pack of film. And uh, I, I said, well, we, we should just wait till we send something, till we feel something. And then... Uh, I, I don't remember specifics. I think it was during the daytime, but I just remember sensing something again and snapping some pictures and then some things showing up. And then we started getting more and more film. And over the next, uh, like, three months, three and a half months, something like that, we, uh, we took a bunch of pictures. At some point we thought, well, it keeps happening, and we keep getting weird shapes and light forms and things like that. So it must be something other than I mean obviously if you put something in the camera it could be that but it, we looked at it there's nothing in the camera uh, so then uh, we decided to have our friends over and just you know, a handful of friends and show them the pictures so we invited a few uh, invited a few friends over and uh, we said we just want to share this with you because it's kind of strange and it, the only we're the only ones you know about, it, so we thought we'd show it to you. So um, we show them the pictures and like, oh, this is so cool. How'd you do this? We're like, well, we're not really sure. You just take pictures of the house and this shows up. And then uh, uh, one of my friends said, um, is he here now? And then another friend said, 
well, let's see. And they picked up the camera and they snapped a picture. And uh, it was actually a picture of me. I, uh, I th- as I remember, I think I have a glass of champagne in my hand or something. I think because everybody was just relaxing and drinking and stuff. And as I remember, I think Mikowski's in the foreground. And I'm not really sure who took the picture. It was either Scott or Rick or one of them or maybe Heidi. Anyway, whoever took the picture, um, we were wait- waiting, watching it develop. And then some of the light things started showing up. And then at some point when you looked at it, it it's like when you start like looking kind of in the ne- negative space, it started looking like a word. And then, so then everybody's like looking at it and all of a sudden we realized it said yes. And at that point, it's like, wait a second, <laughs> wait a second. And then, it, what did you ask? Well, we asked if you were here. And then, and then it was like opening the floodgates at that point. And, um, and then uh, someone said, well, someone has a question. And they grabbed the camera and it's like, well, you know, uh, are you here now? Or, you know, uh, uh, what's your name? And that's when it said, right. And they said, are you a, I think somebody said, are you a good ghost or bad ghost or something to that effect? And it said, friend. And then it's like, oh my God, this thing's talking to us. And that was, that changed everything. Because it's one thing to think of ghosts as an imprint on the landscape. It's another to think of them as communicating with you. And I remember everybody at that thing was like, kind of, what's happening? And for the next like month, I think we're all kind of like on some kind of weird high, like not necessarily a pleasant high, more like, uh, like I got to reorient now because this doesn't make any sense. This doesn't fit in with the worldview as I knew it. And now suddenly it shifted to something else out there is communicating. And then we started thinking, well, is it someone that died? Is it like some people believe in angels? Some people believe in, you know, spirit guides. Some people believe in, uh, you know, well, guardian angels, I guess. And, um, and then it's, and then of course we had to figure out what to do at that point. And, uh, we were watching this new show on TV called sightings. And uh, they showed a picture of a, of a ghost. And John goes, he's like with the Polaroids we're seeing there. And he goes, that's not a ghost. And he picks one and goes, this is a ghost. <laughs> and uh, we just laughed. He goes, you know what? I'm going to send them. Um, I'm going to uh, send them a copy. And I said, I said, okay. So he, he like Xeroxed it or mimeographed, whatever they did back in the 90s. <laughs> Took a Xerox of it, I guess. Or, you know. And he sent it to him. And... Uh, like we just thought it was funny and it's i swear as soon as they got it they called us and um and uh it's like when they want you they want you and next thing you know like within a couple of days there's two producers over the house and they're asking us questions and and we're describing it and then uh they took some pictures and they got some stuff and then then it just was sort of an avalanche of uh communication with them sending people over we went from a three-minute segment to like half the show to the whole show at some point they wanted to do an hour-long live satellite feed from the house and this was right at that time with um Geraldo Rivera did the opening of the tomb you know uh and um I'm thinking oh my god uh, we go live and Something might happen, but if nothing happens, how stupid is that going to look? And we kind of, we always tell people, like this is something we learned over the years, but it's not a performing monkey. It doesn't just show up because you want it to. 
You know, over the years I've gotten God, hundreds of uh, communications from people asking me like, like, um, well, some people want to know when Jesus is coming back. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and I don't know right this either. So, but some people say like, well, I put, I wrote a number down and I put it in a box in the top of my closet. Can you ask right what the number is? You know, it's like, and then I get really sincere things from people who've lost people and, and, uh, that's really, really sad. So anyway, that's sort of how it grew from, you know, a little thing to a bigger thing. Um, you mentioned that when the sightings producers came over, they took photos and they, they captured the phenomenon as well. Were they using a similar film camera? Was it like the same type that you'd used before? And Because I know some of the stuff that I read previously was that it seemed to mostly manifest on... I think it was the Spectra Polaroid. Yeah, no, they, the original ones were only on our camera. And the thing is, is we explained to them that, you know, we can't, we don't have an endless supply. So the, the cool thing was, excuse me, when they first brought us into, uh, like after they, they'd had a few producers over a couple of times, uh, they, uh, they brought us in to meet with them and we were sitting in the outer part of it and I heard them chatting and, one of them was saying, we finally have a story that's real. <laughs> and they would, they would tell us all these incredible stories. Like there was one person who sent in a, they, they, no, they called him and they said, I went to the bathroom and what was in the toilet is in the shape of Elvis. Would you like to see it or should I just flush? And they said, just flush. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so the reason we, the reason we agreed to do sightings, uh, one, it was just kind of fun that suddenly, you know, there was a way to get a lot of film. So they brought in this giant box of film and every box is like marked and numbered and they had like two people like on it at all times. And, you know, um, they whoever would load the camera, everything was on film. They'd watch every little bit, you know, to make sure that, you know, no one's sneaking stuff in there or whatever. Uh, there were... For some reason, it's only worked on the Spectra camera. It doesn't work on other Polaroids. And, um, but they came over and every time they came over, they'd get communication. Then we had uh, friends over that were there for some of the original, like that time when they first talked uh, or when the things started talking to us. And they, uh, they started getting, um, did you, I imagine you've seen the sightings episode. Uh, and they they cut it way back, but I mean, there was a lot of stuff they got. And after, I don't remember how many days of filming, they wanted to film some more. And I'm like, don't you guys have enough? I mean, what do you want to have happen here? You want a manifestation in the middle of the living room? I mean, the communication is clear, but we're not sure where they wanted it to go. And um, you know what I mean? It's like, we wanted help and research on the house. And that's been our, like, we get contacted at least once a month to do a show. Um, and this is constant even to this day. Uh, and we have occasionally we'll let shows in if they agree to do some kind of research or if we think they're a legitimate show. Some of them are, you know, there's just some shows that deal with with this as like something that's terrifying and they have to do an exorcism in the house and all there are moments when it's been scary at the house but it's not an evil thing going on at the house and we wouldn't want to get rid of it at this point you know um anyway that the sightings episode was 
was memorable and it was kind of fun to see, even though uh, they focus on certain things and that's fine. I mean, I thought they did a, a great job with the episode, but um, we were hoping to uh, find out more about the house. Most of the stuff we found out about the house, we found out on our own, you know? Yeah. And actually I would love to, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you have learned about the house and your own research and, and if, if science did help you with anything in that space too, just kind of like what you know about the history and the name right has come up on the photographs. If you know who that might be in relation to the we have, uh We did start doing research on the house. We went to the hall of records, um, which was an experience in of itself because it's like, like in this basement area and it's dark and there's these long, long, like rows of like, giant books of things and stuff and uh we went down there and i remember the guy there said uh, just watch out for i think her i think they said ramona watch out for ramona and we're like what does that mean and he just sort of like nodded and uh and it was creepy being there and you'd open up these giant books like these map books and we did find four different uh people named Wright that were associated with Southern California, but we never found, and we found one guy back in the 1800s who owned this whole mountain area who was named Wright, but we've never found anything beyond that. Like if he ever lived here, we, we haven't found enough about him to know, to find any succinct uh, or clear connection to the property. But it was fun doing research, and there was something down there in that basement, and he got great pleasure out of knowing it and knowing people get the wits scared out of them when they go down there. I mean, you feel things breathing on you, and you hear, like, weird screams and the echoing, and just, it's really creepy. But fun. Fun creepy. You don't, like, you it's, when you get out of it, you, like, laugh, like, when you get out of a horror movie. But when you're there, you really feel like, Something awful could really happen, but most ghosts, I don't think, have the ability to make anything awful happen other than to make you scare yourself into something. You know, I fell down the steps. Why? Because I got so scared I fell down the steps. But they scared you, but they didn't push you. Did you find any records of any deaths on the property or anything that might explain what the presence is or any of the energy that's left behind there? Let me see. Uh, we have. Let me tell you something about uh, sightings real quick. The best thing about sightings is they introduced us to Peter James. And I remember when he first came over the house, They, the way they work with Peter, he did quite a few of their shows, and they don't tell him where he's going. They put him in a car and he shows up and they don't give him anything. He, We had done some research on the house already. He comes into the house and he said, he, right away said how skeptical he was about he's never heard of something showing up on pictures he goes but uh, let me tell you what i'm picking up i'm picking up amelia i'm picking up gilbert i'm picking up i think stefan or something like that and he had a number of people and we had looked up the records back in like 1918 there were some sisters that lived there and one of them was named amelia and I think maybe the 40s or something, there was someone named Gilbert. Like all the names he was saying were people who had lived at the house. Now, of course, a skeptic would say, well, obviously they told him the address and told him what was going on. And he went and looked it up and found all this information that we spent three weeks doing. He did overnight. But he didn't. He didn't know anything about it. Then when he started experiencing the photographs, he was 
very baffled by it. But um, we ended up becoming friends with Peter, and he would come over all the time. And he became very good at communicating with Wright. And we'd have over, I don't know, 10 people or something. And uh, we'd get his, we'd have people bring film, actually. That was the best thing, because if everybody brought a role, we had enough to have an, an event with. And then Peter would come over, and he'd basically talk, you know, I have love and light for you. And he'd say things that would feel awkward for me to say, but he somehow... In his spiritualism, it worked for him. I could not walk around talking like that because people would think I was nuts. I would think I was nuts. But uh, anyway, and he would start asking questions and then getting responses, and other people would ask questions and get responses. And it would almost be like, like, a, like a dialogue, but a slow-motion dialogue. Because sometimes you ask a question, and then you get like light forms. And then someone else asks a question, and there'd be more light forms. And then a third person asks a question, and a writing would come up, but would have answered the first person's question. So you know what I mean. So it was like it was like slow motion. And once we learned that, we learned to uh, uh, we, we sort of learned how to pace talking to write. Maybe just talk a little bit more about Peter and what his impressions were of the house. I've actually seen, I've seen some footage from, I think, a Halloween party oh, you yeah. with Peter. I think it was filmed by um, Barry Conrad. Right, yeah. Super interesting to see him working and, and experiencing the house. So yeah, just kind of curious to hear a little bit more about Peter's process and some of the impressions. Um, if there's anything you haven't touched on yet that he may have picked up about the property. Well, I do know when Peter... Uh when Peter was doing the sightings episode, I remember Peter's very dramatic. He has always been dramatic and he'd hold this light like above behind his head and sort of shine it on himself. So he created like this glow around him and he'd walk in and he was kind of flamboyant and dramatic. And I remember at one point, because when I first met him, I was like, wow, this is the kind of person I've never met anyone like Peter. And of course, once you get to know him, you just fall in love with him. He's a great, great man. But when you first see him, because of how exaggerated he is, it's like, what's happening? What's, you know, why is he so exaggerated? And I remember at one point the producer saying, whispering to him, saying, can you tone it down a little bit? Because you come off as unbelievable because it's so dramatic the way you're making it. But the thing is, I have to say, Nine times out of ten, he produced results. He would talk and talk and talk to the things. And then he'd, I remember um, at one point, um, he was sitting on a bed and he said, um, uh, I think that he felt like Wright was holding his hand or something. And, and he'd say, like, okay, take a picture now. And he, we'd get stuff. And it was just amazing how he seemed to be able to communicate with it. Uh, but we became very close with Peter. And, um, and his uh, whole feelings about the afterlife, I think, shifted a bit after this because he was really good at um, somehow sensing people that have passed on and be able to communicate with them and things like that. But he'd never been able to, like, talk like this, like where you ask a question and get a response. And uh, I do know the last time Peter was over, it wasn't long before he died, and for some reason we were getting so many photographs 
of him. And I remember it was saying things like, God, I, I, I remember it. Were, I remember it said something like, "This might not be this place," but it said something like, "Rethink your beliefs or re reevaluate or something." And we started thinking that after he died, we thought, you know what, Wright was prepping him for the next level and kind of telling him like, well, now things are going to shift again for you. And you got to, some of the things that you thought were real aren't and some of the things you weren't necessarily believing in are or something like that. We don't really know, but that's our interpretation of that last uh, time with Peter. Have you ever captured any of the writing or the ectoplasm on digital cameras or is it only on the spectra um, film still? Uh, it's only only been on Spectra film. Um, we have captured quite a few things on other cameras. Um, we have captured, never captured writing. Uh, a lot of the stuff that we've got, we've never shown publicly, nor probably will we ever, because now in the age of Photoshop and, uh, you know, well, Photoshop, I guess, or just the digital thing. You can do all kinds of things. And even though we don't, there's nothing about it that says we didn't. You know what I mean? And we're not out to prove to anybody what's going on here. What we're doing is that we're enjoying what's going on here. And it communicates still. And it helps us and guides us. And God, sometimes when things are looking the worst, you find out that things aren't as bad. I mean, it's it's profoundly changed everybody who lives here or who's connected to here. But um, the sighting thing was a fluke, and then we didn't expect it to sort of explode the way it did. I mean, Oprah tried and tried and tried to get us on the Oprah show. And at the time, I was kind of terrified of flying. And they would call and they'd say, well, Oprah's God, she won't let the plane crash, you know, that kind of thing. But we didn't do it. That's the only show I wish we had done. I think it, because um, Peter was headlining the show and we would have been supplemental to all the things he, he wanted to do. And it just would have been nice to have that. Um, and th there again, my fear got in the way of uh, us doing it. It would have been such a great experience. And I've subsequently gotten over my fear of flying, but not in time to, to do that. But most shows, we don't. I remember there's this one show that they uh, were offering us money. You don't get paid. Like everybody says, guys, you guys must be rolling in dough. You don't get paid. It's not a matter of being paid. Because if you're paid, then you're doing it for money. Um, I do know there's been uh, cases where we say, well, we want to have the house cleaned. <laughs> so they'll hire people to come over and clean the house before. Yeah, I mean, you want the house to look good, right? So, um, but that's the only uh, remun what, remuneration. No, what's the word? There's another word there, but I don't know what it is. Uh, I remember, but this one show, uh, it was a big network show. And we none of us wanted to do it. And they ended up uh, paying us some money. And we said we'd only do it as if we're in disguise and, and we're hidden, essentially. So all three of us did the show. And the only reason we did it was for the money because we didn't really want to we don't like being lumped in with you know all the spooky things that happen you know so the show comes on we're watching it and it has uh i'm not going to tell you which one it was because it just doesn't seem nice to do that but it had some of the most ridiculous stories you've ever seen in your life 
<laughs> I mean, it was a big network show. <laughs> it was on prime time. And the coolest thing, yeah, the coolest thing was they didn't use our footage. We weren't, we weren't in the show. And I knew why. It's because if you put us in the show, everything looks 10 times more ridiculous. If you have all this ridiculous stuff, you're going to have some people that believe it no matter what. But you put us in there and suddenly it's like, well, why'd you have all that other stuff? That seems silly compared to this. That's what I think it was. Or it might've been because you only see us in silhouette stuff. You know, you never see our faces and everything. But that's the only time we got any uh, paid for anything. And I mean, it wasn't like a ton of money. I couldn't retire or like, you know, <laughs> you couldn't do anything with it. But you know, you could, it was, it was something. And it was, I mean, I'm glad we did it only because of the experience of knowing that that's why we don't do it. That's why we don't do it for money. I know that um, parapsychologist Carrie Gaynor, who I believe was associated with the sightings episode, thought that uh, there could be this could potentially be mind to film psychokinetic process happening here and maybe not some entity. What are your thoughts on on that concept? And do you think there could be any validity to that? I definitely think there could be validity to it. I know when we also did a show called Fact or Fakes, and one of the theories um, that we have heard is that your mind I don't know if it's telekinetic or just, I don't know. It's possible that your mind is picking up. I mean, the, somehow the camera is picking up people's thoughts, which is a real possibility. Uh, I don't ring any, or I don't rule anything out. I just know that, um, that when something's talking to you, is it you talking to yourself? Uh, is there other people, when it communicates with other people, is it picking up their minds? I do think it's an intriguing possibility. The thing is, I don't know anybody who knows fluid Latin. And it speaks in Latin sometimes, and that leads me to, tend, it leads me to the conclusion that it's probably not that, but, you know, it might be. I'm certainly still open to interpretation. And you said it sounds like you do still have experiences in the house to this day. Have you received recent communication in years past? Yeah, the communication is different now. Um, one thing Peter uh, informed us of, which we kind of knew, but he put it into words, is that we have sort of like a grand central station for spirits. And they come in by the bathroom and they go out sort of in this kitchen area by the where the fireplace is. And they just and they move across the house all the time and he says you have something like i think he said seven full-time ghosts i believe and then you have spirits coming and going all the time um i tend to pick up when people die and not always but quite a few times someone i know or someone related to someone i know i will hear their voice and they usually say my name or say a sentence to me and it's something that's very calming and they only do it once and they don't, they don't talk to me. They more like say, they'll say like, Johnny? Or something like that. And I'll be, oh, my aunt just died. Because I, I know it was her voice, that kind of thing. And that's happened, oh God, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. It happened the other day. The thing is, I've had four people close to me that died in the last month. And I haven't heard any of their voices. But then I heard a man the other day say my name, and then I realized one of the people that died has a very deep voice, <laughs> thinking, I wonder if it was her. It might have been. I don't know. Um, I'm the only one who hears that. Um, but um, the thing is, you, 
like when people come over who've never been here, if they're sensitive to it, they will pick stuff up. They just will. And it happens every time. Uh, did that answer your question? Yeah, totally. <laughs> do, you, did, do you have any theories or did Peter have any theories about this idea of the house kind of being this grand central station for this phenomenon energy? Were there any, are there any theories or ideas around why this, this location could be such a, could help this, the manifestation of this phenomenon so much? Well, there are, um, I've heard different theories from different people over through the years of what possibly is causing, uh, the house to have this energy. Uh, one is there's something called ley lines. Uh, and they, they said our house, um, like we've, I have to say through the years, we've had a number of psychic organizations and parapsychologists and scientists. And we have people over, I mean, we did for the first couple of years, constantly, every couple of weeks, we'd have, you know, the Orange County Psychic Association over, you know, or we'd have over people that we thought could help get to the bottom of it. We've had people get EVPs in the house. We've had people channel supposedly Indian spirits and things. Uh, we've had all kinds of different people. Um, back when we were still getting the photographs, I remember this one psychic came over and she was walking around the house and motioning and doing all kinds of very dramatic things. And then she'd say, take a picture now. She never got anything while she was here. But I remember thinking um, how dramatic she was. And uh, we asked right later, what, what did he think of her? And she, he just said, harmless. And what I d deemed from that is that she really had no psychic ability, but she was trying to get connected to the house so she could prove to people she had psychic ability. I think that's what it was, you know, and that's fine. It's just that at some point um, we stopped having people over the house because it just, it got crazy. I mean, we'd ha we were having Halloween parties because people love to go to a haunted house, but then when you get tons of people showing up you've never met before and um and then people things are disappearing little knickknacks are disappearing We're like okay we gotta shut this down because now it's not fun anymore now it's an event for for supposedly for right to show up and them all to get stuff i remember the i think it was the last party we had uh people were pulling out their cameras and snapping pictures over and over and over again and uh at one point after most of the people got frustrated and left, there's still quite a few people there. I remember suddenly he showed up and in one of them he said, um, get out. <laughs> and then and I remember it was like, I thought it was hilarious because I knew, I mean, it's a haunted house, it's Halloween. It's funny as hell that he, that he said that. And then it, it said something else in the corner. I don't remember, like he was kidding or, something uh but then um um our friend joe augustine wrote a book about the house and in the book uh we had we had made a book as a, a few years before as a tribute to peter james right after he died and it's just pictures of what went on and that's all it is there's a little teeny bit of text but it's not about the house in fact our names aren't even in the book it's just about the house as a tribute to peter and then uh 
years later, our friend Joe, who had stayed at the house for a while, for some reason in my mind, I thought he was there for like a month. Apparently he was there for like a half a year or something, and he took notes on everything. So he said, well, I want to write a book about it. And he did. He spent years writing this book, different drafts and stuff like that, and he asked if we could give him more pictures. So in compiling the pictures, um, I'd find like at that haunted house, I found pictures taken at the same time from different cameras and it's showing up in different pictures. And I was like, oh my God. I mean, even to this day, you still discover things in the pictures. So that's kind of fun. You mentioned that the words that would appear in the Polaroid would appear in both English and Latin. Can you talk to me about that a little bit more in detail and maybe the first time you received Latin on the Polaroids and kind of what your takeaway from that is? I honestly don't remember when when we first received the Latin ones. I, I just don't remember. But I do know it must have been early on because I, as I remember in the sightings episode, we had um, dictionaries and we we because we, back then there wasn't an internet, you know. So you'd have some phrase and you're like, okay, what does that mean? And um, we subsequently found out some of it was in something called Old Latin, which. I don't know. I mean, you talk to so many people and after a while you forget some of the stuff you've been told because, you, you know, when you talk to hundreds of people about it. But we had Latin dictionaries and we'd look up stuff. And some of the stuff was in a regular dictionary because they have a lot of Latin in them, like the giant unabridged dictionaries. Um, but once we figured out that sometimes he would do that, we assumed that maybe he was a very old spirit that maybe spoke Latin. Um, if he indeed is a spirit, we don't even know. We don't know if he's ever lived or not. One thing I thought was fascinating when I read Joe's book, um, the thing that startled me was he came up with who he thought right was. And I had no memory of any of this. Um, but I, I guess you read it about, um, the, the movie I made called The Passing. I spent years making a movie called The Passing, and it deals with life and death and life after death, and it's sort of a sci-fi film. Uh, it recently, they re-released it on Blu-ray, which was quite startling to me because it was heavily damaged and somehow they created, recreated it as much as they could. But anyway, uh, the star of the film died before we finished filming and there was a lot of tragedy surrounding the film. We managed to finish it. There was a poster uh, it had a one-week release at one theater, at the Biograph Theater in, in D.C., and we made a poster. And in the poster, we were trying to cover, come up with a cover for it. My friend John Scanlon, uh, who worked on the film, he was uh, helped in editing, and, and uh, he's also a good friend. But he had this picture of this baby, but it was a baby taken like, well, now like 100 years ago. And it was just sort of haunting. And it was the ones of the big, giant, oval pictures and then there was like a glass covering and then there was a reflection in it and i just was compelled by it so i asked him if we could use it for the movie poster which we did and um the movie came out and everything happened and then uh when according to joe because i don't remember this but according to joe when John Scanlon was watching the sightings episode, he saw the passing poster hanging on the wall and he remembered that the baby's name was right. And subsequently he sent me his whole family thing of all the 
family trees and everything. And the, the baby died right after that picture was taken back in like, I think 1922 or 23 or something back in the early twenties. Uh, and, uh, and I kept thinking, well, then why would a picture of a relative of his from a hundred years ago that he's never met be haunting our house? <laughs> and I started thinking, is it possible that hauntings can happen without someone dying on the property? Is it possible that a haunting can go somewhere else? Can they be transferred? And I don't know the answer to these questions. But that's what I thought after I read Joe's book. I'm like, what? Right? And I checked it out. And and why they think that that would be the right, I haven't found any connection to this house other than me living here and knowing John Scanlon, and that was his relative. So uh, that's Joe's theory that I find fascinating, but I don't know what the connection is or if there needs to be one. I know early on you received the name right on a photograph and that's kind of how you've identified the entity. Did you receive the name more? Was there, was it kind of that first time it identified itself as right that you've, you've, um, you've stuck that name, well, stuck with that name for the entity or did it come back? Yeah, it was, know? no, the reason, uh, was because it was like everyone's standing around and we're asking like, you know, uh, why are you here? And, and, uh, and, uh, I don't even remember who said, what's your name? And it said, right. And we're like, okay he's got a name a lot of us think that um his it was a last name and his first name was john and we reasonably thought that is both john and i are john so if we say what's your name he said john we'd be like okay what what you're asking us a question and that's how the name john wright stuck and as i remember now the baby's name was john wright that's what it was the baby's name was john wright and uh but still doesn't like make any sense from the connectivity we understand now but there might be something to it i don't know reflecting on the photos all these years later what do you think the purposes of the messages were and um what impact have they had on your life and kind of your worldview wow um <laughs> i know i was asking Mikowski about that you sent me the list of questions and i was asking him um what he thought about that um well there there actually is there is a conclusion to the story we haven't gone public with it yet we're not ready to go public with it yet um but we probably will in the next year or so um but uh like i'm not trying to be cryptic it's just that we're not ready <laughs> but there is a conclusion to the story that wraps everything up from the very beginning and makes it all make sense because we we've for years pondered why here why this house and now it all makes sense um but as far as uh like john and i were talking about last night the thing i think it's done more than anything is one of the early photographs when he said anything is possible and i really think that that's true and i think that that's part of his message that if you believe in something and, and it means something to you wherever you want to go with it it's possible and i do know um a lot of people have come over this house and asked questions and uh gotten responses 
and uh, it's changed their lives. We've had people who've dramatically changed their lives overnight from being here at this house. Uh, and a lot, of, a lot of people, not just one or two, I mean, there's a lot of people like that. I know one of the questions you was asked earlier is that, um, uh, why I don't know what all the photographs say. Because there are, there are so many photographs, you would not believe how many photographs there are. But um, at different times, and we, we own 90% of them. Uh, we, I mean, technically we own all of them. And we always tell people if they come over and they get a photograph, even if it's their camera and their film, part of the deal of letting you in the house to take pictures, if you get something, it belongs to the house. Now, some of them have been stolen, some have gotten out. A few we've actually given away for really special circumstances. But within the house itself, um, there's... Uh, Sometimes, like I'm sure you know about Noel, you read about Noel, who lives here as well, and he was having some issues. And what would happen frequently is he'd, he'd be at work or something and he'd say, can you snap me, uh, say, three pictures and uh, bring them to me or whatever, or just wait till I get home or whatever. So I'd snap him two or three pictures, I'd seal them in an envelope, and I'd mostly never see him again. And I'd say, did he answer your question? He goes, oh my God, yes, or whatever. But um, there's uh, boxes and boxes of photographs I've never even looked at. Um, and uh, at some point, maybe I will, or maybe I'll be allowed to, but it's not my place if it's someone else's communication, if that makes sense. Um, Anyway, and then there's just a question on here. What do you? What is my response to people who say this is hoaxed? Um, the the reason we did the uh, fact or faked episode is uh, uh, Bill Murphy, who's a friend of mine now. He was the, the scientist on that show, and he said, "God, he's combed the internet, and there's so many theories on what's really going on." My favorite is uh, we have some little people that live in the basement that have a computer with laser projection. They listen with their headphones to the question, they type in the response, and it projects out through a laser beam into the room, which the camera picks up and registers as smoke or, you know, ectoplasmic light or whatever it is. I just thought that was the most clever and fun thing. But we don't have a basement. If we could get under the house, we would dig and find out uh, if there is a dead body indeed under the house, which is something Peter James would stake his entire career on. We have gotten close. We've had ground penetrating radar go under there, but it couldn't get to where the body was. We actually had the floor tiles brought up and we were going to pull up the, the wood. And the man doing it was incredibly religious, incredibly aggressive incredibly superstitious and he kept blessing everything and says no you cannot mess with this grave and i'm like we don't know if it's a grave we just want to see <laughs> and he adamantly refused to let us and it's our house but he was scary um and then we had a body dig one halloween we uh had um everybody come over we had shovels and little things and stuff and and we had it lit up so you could like tunnel under the house and people would get like two feet in and go, uh-uh, I ain't going under there. And nobody did anything. And I wasn't going to go under there. It's scary under that house. <laughs> do you get like a, a negative feeling? No. Or is it like a, because it sounds, okay, yeah. Because most of the most of the encounters and the experience in the house seem very positive. Yes. So has there ever been a point where you felt there's a negative 
anything related to the experiences you've had or has it all been positive? No, in the beginning it was scary. And there's a, I don't know if you've heard of, uh, what's that paralyzed dream thing? What's that called? Uh, night, um, night paralysis. Night paralysis. Sleep yeah. paralysis. That's happened a yeah. few times in this house and we don't understand it. It happened to me once and it, I never really understood it, but when it happens to you, it is freaking terrifying. I mean, you're, you're laying there, you can't move, and you sense that this thing is trying to kill you or destroy you or something. It's really scary. Uh, Noel's had it a few times. I think Mikowski's had it. I know Iona's had it um, once or twice. But um, the, the, most of the scares in the house are from things like you're staying there and you're talking to someone else in the house and you turn around and there's no one there. Now that happens still to this day, but back when it first happened, you know how you just know someone standing next to you or right behind you or whatever and you're like talking to them and then when there's no one there, either they're not home or they're in the other part of the house. You're like, what did you say? And you're like, oh my God, I thought you were right here. I mean, that happens to everybody, but it happens here and, it, and it's scary. Sometimes the shadow people can be a little frightening when they appear. Um, but most people don't see them. You know, when you see them, I don't get scared anymore. Um, I get scared of outside of the house, but inside the house, I don't get scared. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Anyway. Um, oh, you mentioned. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was yeah, just going to say the there. thing about when uh, uh, the different hoaxes and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. uh, John wanted me to share one of our favorite stories because they were here for like, I think, five days. And it was, it's tedious, but it's still so much fun because, um, you know, they're not believers. You know, uh, they're scientists or camera specialists or whatever. And at one point, uh, in the TV show, it takes like 30 seconds and you see Bill up there adjusting this thing, but he, they brought in this giant, giant sheet of plexiglass, which covered the whole middle of the, the house. And it took like four guys, like a half hour to load it in and position it. And I remember John looking over at Bill Murphy and saying, yeah, that's how we do it. <laughs> like we're having a big party. We bring in a giant sheet of plexiglass. I just thought it was so funny. And in every episode of uh, Fact or Faked, in the opening, you see him writing. That's him in our living room, writing on the plexiglass. So we're technically in every single episode of the show. But they, uh, they tried all these different things. And it was great fun. The thing is, they tried pre-exposing film. And they had a lab here down in the driveway and stuff. But they brought in animals because we've had a lot of animals respond to what goes on in the house. And um, they got some really interesting photographs. Uh, and I don't, when I saw the show, I didn't understand the editors behind it because most of the evidence they left by the wayside and they went through, they went for things like, um, like I remember we're sitting in the living room and Bill and the other, what the other guy, I can't remember his name, they dressed up in these head to foot suits and they're under the house and they're digging. And, uh, and I remember going, bone, I found a bone. And we all just all laugh. I'm like, yeah, we live sort of out in the middle of nowhere. You're probably going to find some bones, you know. If he says, I found a head and a human head or a human arm. But we're laughing. And then he'd be like, oh, found another bone. And we're thinking, oh, my God, this sounds so silly. And that's what they put in the episode. It's like, 
you know, it's like, yeah, we went and planted chicken bones under the house thinking you might think a human was buried under there. It was so silly. But um, anyway, yeah, at the end of the day, uh, um, we honestly do not care if people believe it or not. You have people that believe it no matter what, and you have people that won't believe it no matter what. And there have been a number of people who were not believers who came over and have stayed at the house. And some of them are firm believers now because of their experiences here. But we never try to convince anybody of anything. Your belief is your belief. If you don't believe it, if you want to think the whole thing is crazy, that's absolutely fine with us. We've never been out to prove this to anybody. What we've been trying to do all along is get to the root of it. And I think we may have now, as I said, I'm not trying to be cryptic, but I, I think we have something that explains everything. But I have to say, uh, if that is indeed true, Wright had a master plan that took 30 years to fulfill itself. And that's pretty amazing to me that that in wherever he's at, and we're, we don't even know if it's a he. We just assume it's a he. We think his name's John Wright. That's what we think. We think he may have lived. He may be a guardian angel. He may, I don't know. But the fact is, time's probably completely different where he's from. So 30 years is like, you know, a day. So he set this plan up and put it into motion and everything fulfilled itself. And I guess he feels satisfied. It sounds like you're not quite ready to reveal that information just yet. So I won't, I won't probe you for well, the it. Only, but, the um, reason is because is is, um, ABC and Hulu and, uh, and uh, that guy, David Ono the, um, from ABC, they've been working on a documentary for like five years about this place and they have tons of footage. And during the time of that is when the story suddenly all completed itself and, and focused up. And because of that, um, I just, I feel like, because what he's going to have, I don't even know still what it's going to be. I think it's going to be a four-part miniseries. I'm not really even sure. But they've shot tons and tons and tons of stuff. They shot all the original people involved. Uh, people have been over the house. They've, they've interviewed tons and tons of people. And uh, I don't know what the final result will be. But I do know the story completed itself during that. So I feel sort of a loyalty to that. Does that make sense? Because I feel like if I gave it away here, it would be like undermining all those years of work he's been doing. You, um, you've talked a little bit about the the idea that there could be bodies or the belief that there might be bodies under the house and some of the work you've done to look into that. But where did that concept originally come from? Back when the sightings was over uh, and we started becoming friends with Peter James, um, he... Uh, he he picked up different things in the house, but there's just one section in the house where he he said that he definitely feels that the energy from the house is coming from this body buried under the house. And he showed us the exact spot where it was. And uh, he uh, swore by his reputation as a psychic that this body was there and that um, the energy for the house. He didn't say whether it was right or not, but he said that the energy for the house is emanating from that body. Uh, subsequently, I've learned about ley lines. I've learned about vortexes. I've learned about, um, what's the other thing, uh, uh, portals. And there's so many different things that are in the vernacular now of people who do ghost hunting and things like that, and EVPs and all that. And we've had over all those people, different kinds of people, 
But um, I do know there is some uh, kind of a famous guy now, I guess I shouldn't say, but he uh, had an electromagnetometer, I think it's called. And he would go over the house, and when he would go over the place where Peter had said the dead body was, the thing would like peg, like go crazy, like the instrumentation. So I asked him, I said, um, could this be caused by like, say, animals under the house? Like, say, raccoons or something, because, you know, we live sort of in the country-ish, kind of country area of Los Angeles. And he said, no, 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 it would have to be something more like a transformer or something. I said, well, like, could metal pipes or something like that? He goes, no, no, you don't understand. It'd be like a transformer the size of a locomotive is the only thing that would be causing these kind of readings. So I'm like, okay, well, then clearly there's not a locomotive buried under the house. Um, but that's Peter James was the one who first mentioned it. Uh, we um, had a dog named Freddie. He was a, a border collie, and they're highly intelligent. Well, when Freddie would, um, and this was all the time, when he would approach the spot in the living room where the where the um, the body was, he would turn around, and he'd walk in a semicircle backwards around the spot sometimes he would go up to it and he'd leap over it he would never walk through the spot where the dead body was and there's nothing there there's no reason why he should behave that way and he did that consistently his whole life and we just thought it was weird that that area he picked out uh we do have a video of him outside i can't we did a video of him doing that but i haven't been able to find it i think it was on vhs or something it was that long ago but we do have a video of him outside of um the house there's an area back where um in the back part of the house there's always been weird energy there and he refuses to go there and when he does he loses the ability to walk and he has to pull himself along it's the weirdest thing you've ever seen and uh um, in fact that's one of the things that will be in the the, the show coming up <laughs> we're going to show that publicly for the first time I mean, i've showed it to little groups of people but it's pretty amazing footage especially when you throw you throw a frisbee and he runs and runs back and gives it to you but then when you throw it in that area you thought he, you threw it into a volcano or something the way this dog reacts it's really fascinating to see so he was very sensitive to what was on it, what went on in that house. Um, but I don't think there's bodies. Uh, I think it's a body. We did have over a, a soil expert uh, who checked the area around, and he said, well, this is a, I think he said it was limestone, or I can't remember what, what he said. He said, this is the kind of thing that if there is a body buried under the house, it will have completely dissolved by now and absorbed into the ground. I said, well, but if there was a body buried in it, whether it dissolves or not, wouldn't there be some traces left of it? He didn't seem to think there would be, but that's very hard for me to believe that it would completely, it's not like acid where you lose all, I mean, maybe it is like acid, I don't know. Um, and as I said, we've tried different things, but we've never discovered what it is. Peter James in a whole part of the sightings episode that they did not they cut out of it because they thought it was so ridiculous but he said he felt there were indian connections here and there was something called a kiva or something a sort of an underground uh burial ground of this spirit that created the energy um 
and of course at the time they were saying there was no Indians in this part of Southern California and everything. Subsequently, uh, there have been articles about the Indians that they're discovering in this area and they did have burial things. So even though years ago that seemed silly, it's real possible he called it right, you know? Called it right, that's funny. <laughs> called it correctly. <laughs> I think in the Halloween footage that I've seen that Barry Conrad shot, I think there's a section where Peter's standing in, I think, the living room, and I think he's saying that there's like a vortex or energy coming through the floor in a certain area of the living room. Is that the kind of the area where he thinks that the body yes. had been buried? Yes. Or is that something? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And there's been a number of videos we got of him at different times where he will center on that area. That seems to be, as he puts it, he says, that's where the energy is emanating from. As I said, we've heard vortexes and ley lines and portals and all this stuff, and now there's a dead body. I don't know if it's a combination of all those things or if any, like, I don't know if those things exist, though I do believe in portals and vortexes because I, I do think those exist. Um, and ley lines, I don't completely understand what they are, but um, apparently we've been told there's like three or four of them crossing right on our property and where they cross is where th these things tend to happen. But, you know, there's a lot of theories, and I'm open to all of them, and they're fascinating. But I don't have any that I go, yes, that's what I think it is. I've never found that. Yeah. So, and it may not be just one explanation. I mean, yeah. there could be that's what, a number like, of Carrie, coming into play. Yeah, that's why Carrie Gaynor's thing is interesting. And also, uh, uh, Bill Murphy uh, had the same sort of sentiment. He had, did something called the Pearl Experiment, where... You think about something enough that it comes to it comes to life. It becomes real. Uh, and I'm thinking, well, that's interesting. Um, but the energies of people, people love haunted houses or they hate them. The, you know what I mean? There's or they don't believe in them. I love them. You love, I do, too. <laughs> I do, too. I think they're fascinating. Uh, and when I see those the, some of those shows where they go into a haunted house the thing that I think amazes me the most is how terrified they get. Yes, things can be terrifying, but I'm sorry, if you're an expert and you've been doing this for years, you're not going to be screaming like a banshee out of the room because you saw a shadow person. Like It's all about the drama. I know. It's just so funny. That's why we won't do them. We won't do those shows, you know. I mean, and there's so many of them still, you know. I like the ones that respect it or try to help us figure it out. Those are the ones we do. And we still don't even do all those, but I listened to a few of the things you were doing. And I thought, you guys are cool. Okay, we'll do it. <laughs> we love, I mean, this is super, this is just such a passion for us. I mean, we really love it. And, you know, we try to take an even-handed approach with it and not, you know, respect this, respect the phenomenon, respect the stories, um, and just try to really take an even, even look at the whole, the whole, phenomena as well well when, when we i hear a story that i don't believe in i um i don't ridicule it because the person telling it does believe in it and if they believe in it that's that's good enough for me that they believe in it i don't necessarily it doesn't necessarily waver my belief and that's how i feel about this house too if there are people who don't believe in it that's fine that's great you know you don't need to believe in it and the people that you know like I've gotten a couple of weird stalkers out of the whole thing and they think I know things that like, you know, I'm not, I just happen to happen upon this, you know, <laughs> uh, 
Well, I've had, uh, for some reason, I tend to attract things like that. I remember I lived in Ohio for a while, and suddenly there's this man who wanted to uh, smear my blood all over his body. <laughs> now, my uncle was living horrifying. with me for a brief period of time, and he was a Marine, and he was one of the toughest guys you ever met. I was doing Hands Across America. Do you remember that thing where we tried to connect the whole thing? And I was up above Columbus. This was outside of Chillicothe, Ohio. And he gets this call from this guy who's going on and on about me and how my God. he just had this weird obsession with me. And I get back from Hands Across America and he says, somebody wants you dead. And he starts telling me all this stuff. And I brought the police in and, and uh, at the time it was when the phones were switching over equipment from some, some kind of like PBX equipment and something else. So they traced it and they knew it was coming from Chillicothe, but they couldn't trace it to a number. Subsequently, I moved out to California. I started getting the calls out here and then they just suddenly stopped. So that, is that was scary. Weird. I tend to attract That's very scary. things like that. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> well hopefully hopefully more positive well, in the future yeah, than that i try to that stay is, positive but that, that, that one i have to say that <laughs> yeah. one scared me a bit that's pretty scary <laughs> that is pretty scary you talked a little bit about you touched a little bit on noel moving into the house and i was just curious to hear more about that uh his encounters as well because in joe's book it does sound like that the phenomenon had a pretty positive impact on noel and 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 that time in his life and just yeah, just kind of hear, curious to hear a little bit more about that story and, and yeah, how Wright may have helped. Yeah, Wright was kind of, uh, after the sightings thing, um, Wright kind of disappeared. Now, we would still get like ectoplasmic stuff and everything, but we weren't really getting communication. Like you, you ask questions and nothing. And then uh, Noel came over and, um, you know, we became good friends and everything. Um, and he's lived here now for, for a very long time. But... Um, uh, when he first came over, you know, you don't, it's not like you, you go, Hey, guess what? We got a ghost. I mean, there have been neighbors of mine now that don't even know about it. They'd never seen sightings. We don't advertise it, but somehow he was picking up something and sensing something. And next thing you know, uh, uh, we were talking about the ghost. Like, well, well, if people start talking about it and how they love that kind of thing, I'll say, so do you believe in ghosts? And then we'll kind of slowly introduce the topic if we think they're not going to freak out. Um, so once he knew about it, he was like, well, um, let me see if he's here or something. I can't remember. I, I don't remember the details. I just remember he took one of the early selfies because he picked it up and he took a picture of his face, which I thought was funny. And uh, and we got writing again, and it just said try, like right near his head, said the word try. And uh, I was like, okay, something's going on. <laughs> Writes back, and why is he back? And why did Noel bring him back? What about Noel? And when uh, we have uh, video footage of some of these things, but when, when Peter James would come over and conduct his um, sessions with the house and with Wright, Sometimes it would be about Noel. And I remember one time we had all these people over and Noel was working late. Um, and uh, Peter started his thing and then uh, we took a picture and said, wait for Noel. So I was like, oh, okay. So we did. We waited and it was after midnight when Noel got back. And then it was like a flurry of like 
like just picture after picture after picture. And it was fascinating to see. Uh, and I know some of the people there weren't getting their questions answered. And uh, they were kind of upset. They're like, why is it all about Noel? Why isn't it answering my question? You know? And through the years, there's only maybe three or four people he's ever called by name. He never mentions people's names. Um, he will talk directly to people. Like if like a specific person asks him something, he will answer them. The other thing I found fascinating, you have to realize this is over a span of a number of years, but you don't have to ask him out loud. You can think it in your head. And you can go up and, and think, okay, I really need the answer to this question. And you just think the question and he will answer it. And that's when you start going, okay, so this thing is permeating into your thoughts now. So there's something more than little people in the basement uh, doing a computer uh, shenanigans or something. Uh, Which would actually be more incredible, honestly, that if that was the reality. I know. I thought that was the coolest <laughs> thing, you know, especially if we didn't even know they were there. And then we come across these like this whole little community of people living underneath the house. That would be a story. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Um, I think we can wrap up here pretty soon. But what do you think is the most important insight you've gained from your experience in this house? Um, to me, I think, first off, uh, it's sort of alleviated my fear of death. Like, like a, I know it's something everybody struggles with on one level or another. Most people don't think about it until they're old. Uh, some young people obsess on it. But to me, I felt a continuum happening. Like, it feels like, I don't know, I just feel like we're all connected. And this kind of this experience kind of made me feel like we all are connected in ways beyond just maybe just flesh and blood. We're connected beyond that too. Um, and some of my experiences here have led me to believe that uh, some of the things I've seen and experienced um, have led me to believe that. Uh, so to me, uh, anything's possible, but uh wherever we go from here is going to be fun and exciting and new. I also was reminded of something back when I was in college, my first year of college, uh, I took an astronomy class and it was when they were first discovering black holes. This was a long time ago. First discovering black holes, they first started discovering multiple galaxies because up until that time they thought we were the galaxy, right? And I remember the teacher was very philosophical and at the end of the class he goes, I'll see you all again in six trillion years or six quadrillion years. Because, you know, that was when the Big Bang Theory came out and then it all shrinks back down again. I thought, there's something really cool about that. I mean, it's a really long time, but I'll see you again. And maybe next time will be a little different. But, you know, I, I believe in, um, I sort of believe in reincarnation, probably a little different than the popular belief, but it's kind of given me thought that, uh, we all sort of move together through time and uh, and the people that you care about you will see again you'll hook up with again and uh, I notice a lot of people contact me who have lost somebody a lot of people have lost kids and stuff and that oh my god it's so devastating and it's I can't I uh, will not say anything to them other than I feel like that they would want you to continue your life and they love you you know what I mean but I won't get into anything like that. There have been people I have picked up, 
But to me, I don't know enough. I cannot counsel somebody that way. I can tell them my feelings. But there's no way I would get involved with like saying, yeah, I've been talking to your son or talking to your daughter and they're telling me this, you know. Um, and even if I was picking up that, which in a few cases I have, I just feel it's not right. Oh, right. <laughs> it's not a good thing to do. I feel it's, you know what I mean? And it, it raises more questions than it does answers. Um, and I think that's wrong. But that's just me. I know there are people For who sure. do that. Um, do you know if there's, have you noticed any specific patterns or triggers that's um, brought the phenomenon on? I mean, the only time, like, when you hear people talking is usually when someone dies, but then I'm usually the only one who hears it. Um, uh, I do know that um, I'm not the only one who sees, I would call them, I guess, full-blown apparitions because they look like real people. Um, I do know other people have seen that in the house, but not people who live here. Um, and I don't know if something sparks it or whatever. I still see that lady. I know for a while there, we when when I first moved in, uh, a friend of mine had a couch and said, you need a couch? I said, sure. So we had a couch. And I kept seeing a man, an old man, standing by the couch in plaid pants. And I'm like, I mean, I would see him over and over on a daily basis. And uh, Mikowski never saw him, but he would ask me about him. And I, he said, what's he doing? I said, he's staying there. He's looking at me. He's not doing anything. I don't know why I keep seeing him. So he goes, well, call Rick. Find out about the couch. So we called Rick. It turns out he got it from a friend of his. The man who owned it died on the couch, and he had diabetes, so he had, like, no legs. <laughs> so I would always see him standing in these plaid pants on the side of the thing. Um, and subsequently got rid of the couch. But somehow the energy in that house, I think, made it to where things can become visual, if that makes any sense. As far as triggers, I can't think of anything that sparks it. It just sort of happens when it happens. You know, sometimes I do. Oh, wait, I do remember early on that we we were doing a picture and we're all like hugging each other and we got a, a picture. So we started this idea that maybe if we hug each other, it would bring on the energy. So when we have groups of people, we do like group hugs all the time and we got a number of pictures. So somehow that physical, emotional connection uh, maybe enabled it a little bit. So maybe that's a trigger. Triggers maybe the more like something that helped it realize itself. I think that's pretty much all the questions I have, and maybe just as a just kind of a final final question, is there anything anything you would want listeners to know, or any kind of parting thoughts about the house and and kind of the experiences you've had? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, everybody takes away something different from the house. I do know. I was reading this thing recently about death and how we we need to think about death every day, and the reason is is because uh, if you don't you constantly put it off till tomorrow, which in turn you put up your life till tomorrow and you do things that you don't necessarily want to do or you do things you just want to do. But they they put up an example. Let's say you look at and someone who is, has a terminal illness and you know they have three years left and that means you have three Thanksgivings left with that person. Does that change your perspective? Will you spend those three Thanksgiving with them? Or will you go, well, next year I'll go, next year I'll go. The fourth year, they're gone. So 
if you appreciate your life, then it helps you focus not on your death. I mean, that sounds really negative, but the fact is somehow death makes our lives very meaningful. And if you get over your fear of death, if life does go on, then it's all a continuum. It's all part of the cosmic dance. It's all wonderful. And I think we get more out of life here. Like, like I'm getting old, but God, I have so many things I want to do and so many projects that I have lined up that I'm just so excited about. And people keep saying, you're still beating that dead horse. I'm like, yeah, because I love the dead horse. I love the things I'm doing. I love the creativity and, um, and I will continue to do them till like, I hope I drop dead on my last day of shooting some film or something. You know what I mean? Like I just, I love being creative and, um, and I think I'll be creative in my next life. And I think I probably was creative in my prior lives if indeed those exist. So that's how I sort of, this has, the right has given me the feeling like there is something beyond where we are. And if that's true, then we shouldn't fear going beyond where we are. When we're born, a lot of kids cry and we're in this warm environment and we're all, you know, comfortable. And then suddenly we're in the cold and it's scary and everything. But ultimately, as adults, we look at that as beauty. So maybe death is the same type of transition. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcasting app. It helps get this content in front of more listeners, which means we can produce more episodes more often. Visit our website at www.strange-phenomenon.com for a full list of sources and more episodes. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at strange underscore phenom and on Facebook at strange phenomenon, all one word. Strange Phenomenon is hosted by Ray Tarara. It's written and produced by RJ Blake and Ray Tarara. Theme music by Tara Monk. Additional music provided by Sergi Cheramizanov.